Rebecca had twins, Jacob and Esau. They were fighting before they were born. Esau came out first. He was hairy and he liked to hunt and stay with his dad. Because his dad was his favourite, like my dad. He likes me the best. And next. One night, one day, Esau came out hunting, came back from hunting. Jacob was preparing a meal. But he was so starving that he couldn't even cook the hunt that he killed. So he said, quickly, give me some of that stew. And Jacob was sneaky. He didn't just give his stew to his hungry brother. He said, your birthright first. And Esau said, yes, that was very dumb. It's like play, paying a million dollars for some mushy soup. So, next, when Isaac was old and about to die, Esau wanted his blessing. So, he went out hunting to get a meal for his father. While he was doing that, Rebecca heard this and told Jacob, because she remembered Jacob was his, her favourite and wanted to get the blessing. So, she told Jacob, um, I'll prepare a meal for you, give it to your father, put sheepskin on your arms and some, wear some of Esau's clothes. Then your father will never know. So he did that. He got the blessing. Esau was furious. So actually Rebecca had to help her son run away. He ran away. And he got the blessing still. So he was still blessed, but he still had the fight in his head. But after that, he forgave him, and they were all good. The end. I know I'm her dad, but I am so proud. I think she's so cute. And uh, I think she memorized that after watching like 10 videos. Yeah, I don't even think she did 10. I think it was more like two or three times, and then that little sausage has a brain like an elephant. This story, it progresses. Um, Jacob leaves his mom and he's running for his life. And he, he gets to a place that he names Bethel, mm -hmm. uh, which means house of God. And at this place, the, the bizarreness of Jacob's story just keeps growing because mm -hmm. at this place, God comes to him in a vision and he blesses him. And you, you'd almost think like he's just stolen everything and he's got the blessing from his dad but now he gets it from God as well God's on his side and God says I'll multiply you I'll give you this land he he reinforces all the blessings to Abraham I'm going to bless you and I'm going to fulfill what I've promised to to you and you will return to this land you'll get everything that I've promised you it's like God's on his side to start to finish yeah I think um for me it's a incredible the whole story of Jacob is an incredible story of um, a person's transformation. There are these highlights that I, I think as believers we can capture from Jacob's story about the one who was the deceiver gets deceived by others, gets a taste of his own medicine. But then in the end, there's a, an incredibly beautiful flourish that God puts on the story 
with renaming Jacob. Um, I mean, I mean, if you start off kind of tagging for a little bit from where Gracie ended, and that um, Jacob runs away from his mom, leaves his home, running for his life essentially um, from Esau, from his brother, and he runs to his uncle Laban, gets to Laban shortly after getting there, falls in love with Rachel. Um, and that kind of is the moment where, like I said, the one who deceived others, he starts to get a taste for his own medicine and starts um, to be the one who gets deceived. And so he makes an agreement with Laban, um, I'm so in love with her, with Rachel, that can I work for seven years? And as my payment for, for working for labor for seven years, um, can I have Rachel's hand in marriage, to which Laban agrees to those terms, um, only to find seven years down the line, wedding night arrives, there's the wedding day, celebration, consummation of marriage. I'm not exactly sure <laughs> these details. The 350 BC, obviously ESCOM had problems. Or I don't know, there was some other funky stuff going on. But basically, Jacob wakes up in the morning after having gotten married to find that it's not Rachel that he's now married to, that it's Leah. And he confronts um, Laban and says, hey, wrong woman. Um, and Laban acknowledges, agrees. He goes, yeah, there's a little bit of a custom thing going on here. I can't give away my youngest if my oldest isn't. So you can have Rachel now as well as having Leah. You're going to have to do another seven-year stint to um, which Jacob agrees to because he's so madly in love with Rachel. He says yes. So he does his second term of seven years for payment for Rachel. Um, and at the end of the seven years, he gets Rachel. But um, he somehow gets lured, slightly tricked into a third term of labor for Laban. Um, and this time the terms of agreement are that he now has acquired Rachel and Leah and actually the servant girls as well. So he actually has four women. This is another conversation. But um, he says, my payment for this six years, can it be in the form of um, livestock? And Evan says, yes, sure, no problem. That's great. But what's fascinating in the detail of that agreement is that it seems like Laban like Jacob asks for a certain type of livestock to which Laban says, yes, I agree to that. But when he has to hand it over, he actually gives over the opposite. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. And, and onto that, I mean, it, there's the but God statement. He says to Laban, you cheated me 10 times. Yeah. If, if I asked for street ones, um, you, would, you would change it. You would change the deal to spotted. But then he goes, but God, mm. but God still blessed me. And so when you said there would be street, then God made the animals produce street. And if you said they were spotted, then God would make the animals produce spotted. The blessing of God was so strongly on this deceiver mm. that just it rolls all the way through the story. Mm. And I think that kind of leads into the other part that I really love to just sit on and think and take, take out of this is that as a believer, it is foundational to my faith that I understand and believe and trust that even when it looks like I'm going to end up with less, somehow, but God, because of God, 
I end up with more. So where Jacob should have ended up with less, where he should have ended up with something potentially that was faulty or was, was not what he agreed to. And even though there was, there was some stuff that was faulty in Jacob himself, God overrides that. And he goes, but for me, I, I'm going to provide for you. So there's so many people right now, I think, who are experiencing a loss of something or what they are ending up with is not what they thought they would end up with. It's not what they agreed to end up with. Yeah. Um, maybe it's a little bit of your, your product has been lost or business strategy or business plan or maybe a business partner has deceived you or it just feels like COVID has pulled the rug out from under you and what you thought you were going to get is not what you're being, um, not what you're ending up with. And I think this story for me speaks so strongly about a God who it looks like I'm going to end up with less. It looked like Jacob was going to end up with less. But he actually ended up with the ultimate. He ended up with something better. Um, yeah, I really love that about the story. You know, if you believe in fair, then the story of Jacob is not for you. Because it's not fair. It's not fair that a lying, deceiving trickster with four wives, 12 kids, probably the most dysfunctional family in the entire Bible should just be consistently blessed. The thing about Jacob is, is he comes, it's from the womb, he's fighting, he's contending. And, and what's amazing about the story, what's so bizarre about the story is that he keeps winning. He wins against Esau, he gets against Laban and it looks like he's losing, but God gets on his side and he wins. And chapter 32 brings Jacob into a fight he can't win. He, it brings Jacob into a fight with his past. And you can't win against your past. You can be forgiven of your past, but you can't win against your past. And Jacob has to go and fight Esau. But he doesn't want to fight Esau because he knows he's going to lose. He wants to make peace with Esau. And Jacob's scared. Esau's got 400 men and uh, he has wealth. He's strong. And he doesn't know the intention of Esau. And so he sends his family out in four parties, all bearing gifts to take to Esau. And Jacob finds himself alone at Bethel, the place that he met God before. And in this moment, you've got to understand, Jacob's been wrestling his whole life with everybody else. But inside Jacob, there's a wrestle. Jacob's still left with Jacob. There's a wrestle inside. And so he comes to this moment at Bethel. He's on his own. In Genesis 32, verse 24, it says, So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he was wrestling with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What's your name? And Jacob was his answer. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and you have overcome. The story is pretty funny. I don't know how many of you are old enough to remember James Dalton, but he was a hooker. And uh, 
the story's a, a bit like that because James Dalton would break the other hooker's nose in the first five minutes and then James Dalton would be clubbed and then the ref would introduce them. They'd come together, they'd shake hands and they'd go back. That's what's going on in the scripture. They wrestle all night. And then at the end of the evening, Jacob asked the question, what's your name? Who are you? The text carries on and says, Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel saying, it is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel and he was limping because of his hip. Jacob, the man who always wrestled, ends up wrestling Jesus. His posture, and this is some people now in COVID, his posture is so bent towards fighting. He feels fighting is his natural position. He's, he's been trained to fight. He's fought for his birthright. He's fought for his blessing. He's fought to get his wife. He's fought to get riches. Everything in his life has been a fight. And so when he meets God, he fights before asking his name. This is Jacob. And the thing about Jesus, the thing that is so profound about the scripture is that Jesus comes to him in his posture and fights with him on his terms. And he wrestles the whole night with him. Now, I wrestle with my little boy. Wrestling is an incredible moment because when, my, when Geordie was really small, I would fight and lose to teach him that he's strong. And then as he got older, I would, I would fight with him to help him use his strength and help him know how to use his body. And I would shape him. And as he got older, I would fight with him to help him test his strengths and, and help him learn meekness, how to hold back his strength. You see, fighting is what a father uses to raise a boy into a man. Jacob's a man in many aspects. But when it comes to fighting, when it comes to a heart posture of wrestling, he's a little boy. And he's the little boy in him needs healing. And so Jesus comes to the dysfunctional little boy and he goes, I'm going to wrestle with that little boy until he becomes a man. And Jesus is coming after some of us and he's going, I will meet you in your dysfunction. I will get to where you are a little boy and I will wrestle with you until you become a man. This is the beauty about Jesus. He wrestles with Jacob where he's a little boy to make a man. And the wrestle, it culminates in this moment. Jacob, he asks the same question he always asks. He, he says, bless me. Will you bless me? For Jacob, to be on top feels safe. And Jesus goes, that's not the issue. I'm not going to deal with blessing. I'm going to deal with who you are. And he says, what is your name? And, and Jacob goes, I am Jacob, which means deceiver. I am the deceiver. I've been deceiving everybody. It's the only way I could get out. When I was with Esau, I deceived him. My mom was a deceiver. I learned it from her. It was in my genes and it was in my nurture. Deceiving is, is who I am. I am Jacob the deceiver. And even when I tried to stop deceiving, I still landed up being deceived and had to deceive Laban to get away. I am the deceiver. And God looks at him. Jesus looks at him. And he says, your name will no longer be Jacob. It will be Israel. Israel means God contends. 
Here's, here's what he's saying. You have been a deceiver because you've been fighting and wrestling to get on top. But I want to tell you, Jacob, from this moment on, I'm going to contend for you. I am going to fight for you. You can put down the fight and let me fight. This is the story of Jacob. But what I love so much about Jacob is, is I'm a bit like Jacob. There is a fight in me, a wrestle. I, I need this message. But when, when Jesus describes God, he talks about God, the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He doesn't say God, the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. He says God, the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you've got to ask the question, why does he say Jacob? Let me tell you why. Because the story of Jacob is a story of so much grace. It is, it is a picture of how God comes to our level. He blesses us. He pours out everything. You know, I need Abraham. I need the story of Abraham. Because Abraham teaches me what faith looks like. When you've been waiting and waiting and waiting and it doesn't come through. I, I need Abraham for that. I need Isaac. Because Isaac teaches me about a man who sows in faith in a time of COVID, in a time of recession, in a time of drought. He sows in a famine and he reaps a hundredfold. I need Isaac. But mostly, I need Jacob. See, Jacob is the man whose dysfunction has landed him up in pain. And he's, he's messed up relationships. And he's got carnage all around him. And he's... He's fighting to do what's right, and he just keeps getting it wrong. And he, he lives with frustrations and messes in his life. And I know some of you, you, you don't have this. You don't have the dysfunction. You, you're still best friends with the people you went to kindergarten with. And you, when you got married, you were still a virgin, and everything about your life has been right. But for those of you with dysfunction, you need Jacob because you need to know that God can take a dysfunctional man, and he can live out his purposes through that man. And that man can have a destiny that changes the world. You and I, we need this Jacob story. Jacob is grace itself. It's God going, I'm going to achieve my purposes through jars of clay. I'm going to put my blessing on people who are still learning to steward it. I'm going to wrestle with them and their dysfunction. And I am going to turn them into my nation of people. And everybody will talk about them. You know, the story of Jacob isn't a story of just keep doing wrong. It's a story of if you want your life to be changed, put all your eggs in God's basket. Put all your faith in Him. He'll meet you in your dysfunction. And wrestle with him in your dysfunction so that he can take your life and turn it into a blessing. And as we sit in this pandemic, in pain, in fear for tomorrow, many of us sit there going, but I don't deserve to be blessed. And I, I'm not smart enough. To work my way through this. I'm not skilled enough. I'm not, I'm not something enough. And you're wrestling. And I want to say. He's the God of Abraham. He's the God of Isaac. And he's the God of Jacob. And he can turn your name into Israel. God contends. 
Let God contend for you today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, will you come in and over and around our lives? And for those of us who see ourselves more like Jacob than Isaac and Abraham, Lord, will you come and will you wrestle in the deepest dysfunction of our hearts and will you bring healing and your grace over us so that you can use us? We bring our unregenerated selves to you and we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit and wrestle, you will change us and you'll set us free. And I pray right now, God, that every person who feels stuck in addiction, they feel stuck in, in sin habits, and they feel stuck in places that they just can't get out, I pray, God, that in this message you will set them free in Jesus' name, and you'll begin to wrestle with them whether they're a little boy or a little girl, and you will turn that little boy into a man and that little girl into a woman of God. Will you come upon people, Lord, and change their lives in Jesus' name?